you can be useful and you have some personality, some spark, some sense of who you are as a person, and then just put a little bit of technique into it, you will have effective content. This is Ezra Firestone from smartmarketer.com, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on the Productive Insights Podcast, best podcast you ever listened to. Listen to every episode. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Welcome to this first part of a two-part series with one of the most prolific content marketers out there. Our guest today refers to herself as the pink-haired marketer. She's written every single day for the last 30 years, except for four days of those 30 years, and we'll find out why. We talk about what makes content great. We talk about how SEO and content are starting to merge and why. We talk about the guest posting controversy where Matt Cutts from Google had a bit of a moment when he said guest posting essentially was a sin and then he went on to retract his words later on and why he did that. So there's a lot of very valuable and interesting information in this first part of the two-part series. I hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to tune into the second part of this two-part series where we talk about the challenges around content and what actions you can take to really create content that is epic and that places you a cut above the rest. If you enjoy this episode, you should definitely check out some of the related episodes, which will be mentioned in the show notes. Also, we would sincerely appreciate it if you left a review on iTunes. Every single review helps. And I'd like to mention that this episode is brought to you by the Productive Insights Done For You podcast launch service, which positions you as a leading authority in your market and successfully turns listeners into high-value customers. Book a call with me on callashroy.com to discuss how we can get started. Now, without further ado, here is the star of the show, Sonia Simone, the co-founder of copyblogger.com. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'd like to introduce a very special guest for whom I have immense respect. She's one of the leading authorities when it comes to content marketing and creating high-value customer relationships. She's the co-founder and the chief content officer of Rainmaker Digital and of Copyblogger Media. I'm delighted to welcome Sonia Simone. Welcome, Sonia. Hey, Ash, it's so good to be here. It took us forever to try and find a good time to record, so I'm so glad we could uh, bridge the great time zone gulf. (laughs) Yes, and thank you so much for being on because I've been a big fan of your work and it is really a pleasure to have you on the show. I've had a lot of other awesome people whom I also respect from Copyblogger, including John Morrow in episode three and Damien Farnworth. I don't remember which episode that was. Chris Garrett in episode six. And I'm really pumped about this conversation. Yeah, great. So Sonia, before we launch into the full-on interview, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story and how you ended up in content marketing. I'd also love for you to talk a bit about how you have written every single day for the last 20 odd years, except for the day you had a cesarean section and Mm. about the importance of writing every day and how 
you ended up with the podcast, which is Confessions of a Pink-Haired Marketer. Please fill us in. Yeah, I have one of those careers, I think, like a lot of business owners do have, that comes primarily from being about 90% unemployable. Um, (laughs) But oddly enough, one of the more stable, real jobs that I've had in my existence really was leading a content marketing team, although at that time, that's not what it was called. That was in, um, oh, probably 2003 till about 2008. Mm -hmm. So content marketing wasn't the term that was used, but it was definitely a content marketing team using kind of a very rich, dynamic set of content to drive customer behavior. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, I've done all kinds of things. I've always been a writer. Mm Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, you know, that's just sort of it. it was a way that that let me take what was in my head and get it into a form somebody else might be able to appreciate. Mm-hmm. It's not something I did intentionally or something I set out to do. But no, it is true. I have written every day for since I was kind of 20 something. So that would be pushing on 30 years at this point. Wow. Other than, yes, I was in the hospital for four days having a C-section, and I did not do any writing during that time. (laughs) I hope the audience will forgive me. And one of the things that you get after you've been a writer, you also get this after you've been a photographer or a graphic designer or a painter or a musician, and people say, well, how did you develop your skill? And it's like, well, I've done a lot of it. And if you do a lot of it, and especially with writing When you're writing to communicate, persuade, talk to somebody else, even if literally it's a a longer, well-thought-out Facebook post, you Mm -hmm. know, but it's writing with an intention to get something across to another person, do enough of it and you get better at it, hopefully. Mm. (laughs) If you don't, Mm. that's your life is very sad. And that's the number one. I mean, Brian Clark, who's my business partner and my, my longtime friend, has said that for years, you know, the great magic secret to becoming a better writer is write and write and write and write. And you do Mm. get better at it, but even more so when you are writing for an audience and you are writing and and seeing how other people connect to it, which is why blogs are so exciting, content marketing is so exciting. Mm. Well, I've actually learned how to write directly from John Morrow, who I really respect as a writer, and he too said the same thing. And about your point about writing every day, I have seen Brian Clark's 10 tips on how to become a better writer, and it says, write, write more, write even more, write even more, (laughs) and it keeps going along those lines. So that made the point, and I think that that is very true. The other thing I would say that is really important in terms of writing is really understanding your audience and developing an empathy for them, which is something Mm -hmm. I learned from John. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why that social media writing can be surprisingly effective as well, because Mm -hmm. it tends to be to people you have some understanding of, or, you Mm -hmm. know, blog writing, where you you start to have people who show up in the comments, and they they show up in the comments every day, and there's a certain kind of person who shows up. You Mm -hmm. start to understand who you're writing for. One of the things I always tell people is, You know, the word pontificate comes from the Pope standing on the balcony in St. Peter's Square talking to the masses. And it works great for the Pope, but if you're not the Pope, (laughs) write for one person. Don't write from a balcony to 10,000 people. Mm -hmm. Really think about a person that you could make a connection with, that you might be able to influence or come to some mutual understanding. If you have that person in mind, your writing will instantly get a lot sharper. And it's one of the quickest things I know of 
to get much better quite quickly as a writer. Mm, because you get that feedback, right? In the comments, in Facebook or wherever it is, you're getting that instant feedback. You get the instant feedback and you also think about it differently. So you, you choose your words differently. You don't stiffen up the way that mm. a lot of people do when they write. You're not trying to sound corporate, you know, mm. which kills a lot of people's writing. So yeah, it's both the feedback, but it's also what it does to you as a writer when you think in that way. Mm. That's really good to know. So it's a matter of building those writing muscles. Now, something that I really like that Joe Polizzi said when I interviewed him in episode 75 about his approach to content was, he said, when you create content, you try and meet your audience where they are. So this is just an example I've made up based on what he said. This is not exactly the example he used, but say you're selling washing machines. His point was you try and create content for your audience at the point where they are trying to make a decision about what washing machine to buy. So you're not necessarily creating content about your washing machine and why it's the best, but the difference between, say, front loaders and top loaders and, you know, some kind of a framework that people can use to make a decision on what washing machine to buy, which then builds that trust. It gives you an in to the conversation, which then leads to a sale. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great insight. I'm reminded of the the statistic, and I can't remember the number, but it's something between 40 and 60% of the work that somebody does to make a purchase. And of course, it's going to depend on what you're selling. Mm -hmm. Has already been done by the time you know that they're a prospect. Exactly. They've already done the research. They've already done the background. They've already, you know, they have decided, do I want a front loader? Do I want a top loader? Mm. You know, what kind of um, machine do I want or what kind of widget do I want? So, yeah, if you can get into the conversation at that point before they've expressed an interest, I'm, I'm ready to buy a washing machine and please discuss your models with me. Mm. If you can get into that conversation at that point, you do have a massive advantage. Now, you know, nothing is guaranteed and and you may make the sale, you may not make the sale. And I think that's, it, it's not stressed enough when we're talking about doing our marketing online, we're talking about doing business online. You don't have some kind of entitlement to make the sale just because you created 800 pages of free content. Right. You may be fortunate enough to mm. make the sale. That's where it can become frustrating. It can become tricky. I mean, you you need to use as many strategies and intelligent tactics as you can to improve your own odds. But yeah, you know, you are not in control anymore. When when I go into in the US, Sears is where people might buy a washing machine. Mm -hmm. I go into Sears and I am a little bit at the mercy of the salesperson. Mm -hmm. My choices are determined by the salesperson. They're determined by what models, what kinds of machines Sears has chosen to stock. What gets explained to me about the machines is really in control of the salesperson. Online, of course, that gets flipped. Mm. And the person doing the buying has all the power. And so all you can do is invite, entice, suggest, inform, get on somebody's good side, mm. show yourself to be a good person. But the, the compensation for that is, you know, you can get people from all over the world. And if you have the right kind of product or service, you can deliver that product or service to customers all over the world. So mm -hmm. that's that's the compensation. But yeah, it's it's a different it's a very different buying environment than the environment before the web became something that, you know, most people have have some access to. 
Yes. You know, I really liked what you said there, Sonia, about the fact that your content doesn't entitle you to a sale, but it only gives you a front row seat to possibly Mm. make the sale. And I think a good quality article or good quality content solves a problem. And when you solve a problem, you then have the privilege of being able to possibly securing the sale. But it doesn't mean you necessarily will get the sale. But if you don't create content that solves a problem, then increasingly in today's online driven world, you're less likely to even get a sale. The other thing that really comes to my mind is Google's Zero Moments of Truth, which for the listeners, if you're not familiar with the Zero Moments of Truth, the history is when you first walked into a store and you say you wanted to buy a pair of shoes, the first time you saw the shoes, that was considered the first moment of truth with the product. And now when someone goes to buy a pair of shoes, a fair proportion of people are looking online and that's what Google calls a Zero Moment of Truth. And I believe about 10 odd years ago, I think you needed three ZMOTs or zero moments of truth before a purchase. And today that number is something towards 15 ZMOTs before Mm. someone makes a purchase. And each of those ZMOTs is through a content marketing conversation. As Chris Garrett beautifully put it, he said, content marketing is a conversation that is happening between a buyer and a seller. The question is, are you going to be part of that conversation? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned Google because this same conversation takes place around SEO as it does for a a customer purchase. And so you are not entitled to a specific position in the search engine. You may get it, you may not get it. But if you're not in the game, your odds are very, very poor unless you are really going after a keyword that has very, very little competition. The way to improve your odds of getting better search engine positions is content. And Google has become uh, very much a content marketing play. And yet, Mm. you know, you can have really excellent content and someone else just may have you beat, you know, someone else may have, uh, may have a strategy that's working better. So the same kinds of of conversations do happen around your search engine placement. Because I know that's a lot of times somebody's next question is, how can I rank in the search engines? Mm. I need to rank search engines. Is the answer then that you just have to be consistent and continue producing high-quality content. When I interviewed Rand Fishkin, I think it was episode 38, he talked quite a lot about content. I thought the conversation was going to be about SEO because he's the founder Mm. of SEO Moz. I think the impression I walked away with is that he has become very much an advocate of using content approaches to improving your rankings And he talked a lot about shareability. So if your content is good enough for people to want to share it, then it's more likely to rank in the search engines. So I'm just very interested to hear your take on that. Do you feel that SEO is moving more towards a content marketing play these days? There's no question. And I'm I'm not an SEO expert in any way, but Mm. I I know some of them. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And I'm able to ask some of them questions. And every really serious SEO that I am talking to now, content is a bedrock of their strategy. It might not be the only element of their strategy, especially Mm. for a a large, complex technical site. I mean, there are technical things that they do as well. But, you know, the nice thing about content marketing for me, and I think for smaller businesses who might not be able to spend, you know, thousands of dollars a month on a really high-quality SEO, is that content is finding customers and connecting you with customers whether or not your search engine position is there yet or not. So Mm -hmm. 
it both helps you with search, but it, it more important, it helps you find customers. And if your search engine placement starts to improve, that's great because that's just one more way you can get some customers. But you don't have to wait until you're number one or number two in the organic rankings, which, by the yes. way, is getting pushed way down on the page because there's so many paid rankings now. Right. So, you know, even if you're number three, all of a sudden you're at the bottom of the page right. because there's some paid stuff above you. While you're waiting for that to work and trying to put together, content is out there in social media, getting shared. You can send paid traffic to it. You can use some of the excellent opportunities presented by Facebook marketing, LinkedIn mm -hmm. marketing if you have lots of dollars. Well, good old email list building and autoresponder sequences. Exactly. List building. You can use all those techniques that all work better when you put lots and lots of content and you're using those to make sales. And then, you know, if you end up with a great search engine position, that's great. But you don't have to wait for that mm -hmm. to have a successful business. And Google changes their algorithm. Mm. You know, Google does all kinds of things that tend to kind of take people's rankings out overnight, especially if yep. you've done any kind of anything more on the technical side. I won't say spammy, but I'll say anything other than just writing something that's so good that everybody links to it. If yep. you've done something else to boost the signal a little bit, those are vulnerable to yes. algorithm changes. I'm not saying they're bad or, you know, Google is not the church. Uh, <laughs> 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 I don't think there's anything immoral about playing Google a little bit to try and improve your rankings, but you just have to understand it's a little more vulnerable. Mm. Yeah, that's beautifully put, actually. Like, say, take something like guest posting, for example. At one stage, I remember Matt Cutts from Google had come out and said that guest posting was sort of, you know, dead and all that. And I think he was just frustrated at the time and he took it back. But guest posting is a great way to promote your content and get it shared. And that's an example where you're not trying to sort of in some way manipulate your Google rankings. You're just trying to create content that is shareable and distributed where there's a gathering of people that already are looking for your content. On the other hand, if you're trying to do something clever with link building and so on, which might well be within Google's acceptable standards at that time, mm -hmm. but if their ranking factors or their algorithms change, then as you said, you may drop to, to position three or four. And once you're in position four, then you're on page two and you're never going to get found anyway. Yeah. And that was a fascinating moment for us when Matt and I, I do think it was just frustration, but I see where his frustration was coming from. Yeah. I was looking at a, an SEO blog kind of around that time, actually, and this SEO blog was saying something about, well, you know, here's the SEO danger of guest posting. So I thought, well, that's kind of peculiar. I wonder <laughs> what he means by that. So I, I clicked through and the, the writer was like, well, the SEO danger of guest posting is when you're cranking out a lot of thin, crummy content yes. and then people see it and it isn't very good and it reflects poorly on your brand and, and I, the whole notion was premised on the idea that you weren't going to just create something crummy for a guest post. It was proceeding from the worst possible assumption. Mm. And this was presented as a straight assumption, like, well, we all know that we're, this is what we're going to do. I was a little surprised to see it because it was a, it was a pretty high-quality blog, and, and it was just a lapse of judgment, I guess. But rule one is everything you publish on the web has to be worth, really, really worth reading, really mm. worth people's time. Otherwise, all you're doing is contributing to the clutter and the noise. Yes. And that's, I think, what Matt Cutts was saying, now that I, I recall. Yes. I think he was frustrated because there were so many crummy guest posts. And to me, 
that is not guest posting. So when I used my example earlier on, I was actually thinking of proper guest posting, which is, you know, creating spectacular content, writing a post that takes, you know, 10 hours to write, not something that you can spin out and 30 minutes and just, or, you know, repurpose some other post that you saw somewhere, something with real insight, something that really solves problems, a content that drives a reader to take action and deliver some kind of a transformation in their lives. That was what I was thinking by guest posting. And I guess that's what Matt Cutts was also saying. If you're going to write that kind of guest posting, that's fine. But if you're going to do the crummy, spammy stuff, then yeah, you're going to get hammered. Yeah, and just don't bother. I mean, it's a waste of everybody's time. It's a waste of the small amount of money you throw at it. Just don't bother. Just don't. Yeah. So yeah, Matt, Matt quickly, because a lot of people asked him to clarify, well, are you talking about, like, for example, the kind of things that when we have, we don't have as many guest writers as we used to, but we do still have a few that we have relationships with on Copyblogger. Mm-hmm. That's not what he meant at all. You know, that's not what he meant at all. And he, he just was just speaking out of a moment of frustration, and I can certainly understand that. Okay, so let's talk about what makes spectacular content. How does one write content that really gets shared, that content that really drives a brand to stratospheric levels? To me, when I learned to write content, I learned to create content that moves the reader, that emotionally touches the reader in some way and galvanizes them into action at the end, whether it leaves them inspired or, you know, something that actually gets them to to have some kind of a transformation, maybe some kind of a catharsis as a result of reading that content. But I would love to hear your take on what makes content really spectacular. I think that you hit on, there's a couple of elements and the thing about it's sort of like, well, what makes writing spectacular? Well, a lot of lot of things go into it. But we can always work toward getting better and better. And sometimes I think people get a little intimidated because they feel like they have to do the equivalent of writing for the New Yorker when they're just doing their first blog post, you know, and okay. it gets so intimidating that they can't start. So I don't want anybody to come from a position of intimidation. But mm-hmm. I think the elements are, I think you hit on a really important one, which is to move somebody to create an emotional response. One of the things I'm hitting a lot lately and teaching a lot lately is about coming from a position of values, of who you are, what you believe, what you feel is important as a human being. Not, you know, from a cynical way, but really from a a sense of when you write, when you're really informed by your values, whether you're, you know, you value freedom or justice or patriotism or faith or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. when you come from that place, your writing has a lot of energy and it will tend to move people without you having to do some kind of a trick. You Mm -hmm. know, it'll just happen. Robert Cialdini has a new book out. He talks about this principle of unity. So that's very much about unity, about who we are as a people, community, tribe, you know, people use all kinds of different words. Mm -hmm. So that's often a component of really great content. It speaks with a voice that's informed by values, so we have a sense that this person cares about something, cares mm. about something other than selling this washing machine. Yeah, There's a lot of technical things that you can learn. I mean, that's one of the things Copyblogger does a lot of is just teaches you technical and tactical elements that will help, things like really good headlines and mm. certain ways of, of structuring your posts so they're more compelling. So there's, there's all the technical things, usefulness, you, you talked a couple of times about solving an audience problem. That's mm-hmm. such a big for me. If you can be 
useful and you have some personality, some sparks, some sense of who you are as a person, if you compare those two and then just put a little bit of technique into it, you will have effective content. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you build on it. From there, you get better. From there, it's just like becoming a great musician or a great writer or a great painter. From there, you say, hmm, I'm a big fan of this giving yourself challenges. You know, so maybe you can say, okay, November is going to be metaphor month. I'm going to really try and make my metaphors really outstanding because metaphors are very persuasive. They communicate virtually instantly, you know, or December is going to be my make better headlines month. And I'm really going to work on my headlines. Copy blogger has a ton of free stuff. You can go grab a free ebook on it. You know, once you're useful and you have a personality, And a little bit of tech, even if the only technique that you have is you simply have a call to action. Here's what to do next. Mm -hmm. Please sign up for my email list. Please read this related post. Please share this on Facebook. Just any kind of call to action. If you have those elements, that you can build on. And so I like to start there because that's where greatness comes from. You know, it's kind of like um, in the U.S., um, they call baseball the, the, you know, the quintessentially American sport. Uh-huh. And the game, of, the game of baseball that's played professionally is the exact, pretty much the exact same game as is played by very, very young children. You know, four years old, five years old, six years old, ten years old. Uh-huh. It's the same game. The difference is the level at which those fundamentals are executed. Uh-huh. And so if you think about that with content, the rules don't change. It's just you get better. You get better. You get uh-huh better at executing those fundamentals over time and that's where great content comes from but really good content works and so i don't want to discourage people from creating content because we're saying only the most absolutely surpassingly wonderful (laughs) content will work it will work if it's useful it has your personality and a little bit of of tactics before you can get to that stage anyway of creating the spectacular content you have to create a lot of rubbish content or, yeah. you know, you have to start somewhere. And I interviewed a gentleman called Ed Dale, who is a mm-hmm. copywriter. You, you know Ed, okay. Yeah, and I do. it's not a very palatable thought, but he said the first draft you create, he calls it the vomit draft. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and even Darren Rouse. I, I think I interviewed Darren Rouse for episodes 73 and 74, if I'm not mistaken. And Ed Dale was episodes 86, 87, and 88. That was a three-part series. This will be a two-part series as well. And Darren also talked about creating an event around content, which I really liked. Something I really loved about what you said was these themed months. So, you know, you just choose an area you want to develop in a certain month and you really build on that skill. I really like that approach. You know, written content is one of the three forms of content, right? As far as I'm aware anyway, podcasting, what we're doing right now is audio content, which is particularly powerful in some respects because it it has much more cut through because a lot of people are consuming podcasts in their off-screen time. And I'm finding that affluent professionals are self-educating through podcasts more and more these days. And then there's video content, which is the YouTubes and Vimeo and all that sort of stuff. I still personally have a soft spot for written content. I believe it underpins audio and video content because if you don't script your content well, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have some kind of a structure to your conversations, then it can go a little bit, you know, pear-shaped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if, in fact, funny that you mentioned Ed Dale, because one of the first things I did when I was figuring out how to be a marketer was take Ed Dale's 30 day challenge. 
Oh, yes. And Ed is coming from a, a little bit different tradition, more of a straightforward internet marketing tradition. Yes. Uh, and so sometimes his style, people get nervous about oh. his style. But I think he's a great teacher. And I did learn a lot from what he did. But he is, in my opinion, something I like a lot about his approach is that he makes things manageable and cuts things down into bite-sized pieces. And oh. anybody can do that for yourself. You yes. know, cut it down. If you're feeling overwhelmed, find a piece you can you can tackle for a while and then just work on that for a while. Yeah, I love that. And I really love what you said, Sonia, about not trying to become a stellar writer. And I think I was kind of giving the listeners the wrong impression in the sense that you're not going to become a stellar writer overnight. And it's not necessarily about just becoming a spectacular writer. It's the journey that is also important and enjoyable. Yeah. I think if you enjoy the journey, you are more likely to become better and better over time. But the key is to do it. And as you've done it, and I really love the fact that you've written every single day for the last 30 odd years, except when you had a C-section. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of the game is you have to find something that you would like to do every day, you know. So if you're, if you want to create video content, then would you like to create a quick, even a 30 second, 60 second video every day on your iPhone, you know, would that appeal to you? And you don't have to do it every day forever. You don't have to do it every day for 30 years. But <laughs> could you do that every day for 30 days? Would you still like it? That'll help you figure out what kind of content you want to create. That was actually going to be my next question. And that is, how did you know that you wanted to be a writer? And I guess your answer is going to be, well, I started writing every day and I did it for 30 days. And then the 30 days became 60 days and so on. Is that how it happened? I hope you enjoyed part one of this two-part series with Sonia Simone, the co-founder of copyblogger.com. Be sure to tune into part two, coming soon to a pair of headphones or speakers near you. In part two, we talk about the key challenges content creators face when it comes to content creation and how to overcome those challenges, the action steps you can take to become a really great content creator, the secret to writing consistently and creating consistently and how you can implement this secret to become a prolific content marketer yourself. Just a little hint for you. The secret is simple, but it's not easy. I look forward to seeing you on part two of this two-part series. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes if you enjoyed this content. All the links to the related episodes will be in the show notes. So be sure to check them out and share this episode with whoever you think would find it valuable. We appreciate your time and your attention. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 